gentlemen, welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about <coughs> royalty Ooh. and excellence and um, dis- a distinction, uh, put on by three descendants of great and mighty kings. Um, uh, I'm joined, as always, by... What is your? I always forget your title. What is your official? Lord title? Arthur Jan Hannenberg Lord of Sealand. Arthur Jan Hannenberg of Sealand. Uh, uh, Mr. Donaldson, uh, what is your distinction? Um, I'm just from Canada. <laughs> Canadian Graham Donaldson, but that's like the highest praise that can be heaped upon you. That's is true. Canadian it spills on your shirt. Yeah, exactly I'm kind of. I'm, I got the second dose of the vaccine a couple of days ago. I'm still. I'm still like <laughs> held together by duct tape and. <laughs> I'm having a rough time. You only missed two days of school, so you're, yeah. The yeah. only two days of school I've missed all year. Is that but, true? I, I bet uh, your Wi-Fi reception is great now. My 5G is so crystal good. clear, yep. and uh, I bought so many Microsoft products. Uh-huh. I got lost in the mall. Government tracked me down so fast. <laughs> sorry, what? And Thomas Magview. Sorry, I'm the third one. Um, so, uh, uh, yep, nailed it. So, uh, today we're going to be continuing our 162-part series on royalty, and we're getting to the role of princes. So um, these are sons of kings, mm-hmm. and um, they're great, and we have nothing critical to say of them. So, uh, uh, Lord Hannenberg, do you want to take it away? Sure. Today, I'll be talking about a guy that, in my head, was always a tyrant who cut off a lot of people's heads. And I don't think I really understood who he was. When I heard the word Machiavellian, mm-hmm. it sounds a little bit like a pasta. <laughs> A little bit like Mm. a type of coffee drink. Yeah. And a lot like an old tyrant that lived somewhere in where vampires would live, like Mm -hmm. somewhere draconian, right? Is that what draconian means? I don't think so. Well, maybe that's another word I'll have to investigate. It sounded like a good word, though. But AJ, I want you to do whatever it takes to make this podcast a success. (laughs) Whatever it takes. You're jumping ahead, but you know what this is all about. But I never knew what Machiavellian meant. And I always assumed it was some, you know, guy that would chop off people's heads and then, you know, traipse around and run his country and it sounded really terrible it to me yeah it's like cold and calculating isn't that machiavellian is Util- that utilitarian yeah well yeah clearly you guys are way smarter than i was oh. and so i i determined to go and read machiavelli and find out what he was actually all about and you guys are kind of close to the the truth cold and calculating he's really into like love and peace and unicorns is what you actually found out clearly okay uh so i yeah i decided to check out niccolo machiavelli and and his book the prince which is what I'll be going over today. This will be a two-part series. We'll talk about, today we're going to talk about a little bit about his life and then about military tactics a little bit and ruling principalities. And then in the second half, we'll talk about what it means to be a prince, like what kind of, what kind of character traits you need, right? So the first half will be kind of practical. The second half Mm. is practical for sure, but a little bit more about virtues and the virtues you need to have if you're going to rule. Oh, lame. (laughs) I know, it sounds super boring. Today's going to be way more fun. (laughs) Great, good. So this is like how to crush your enemies. That's what part one is. Uh, kind of. Good. Uh, we'll get there. So first I'll do the life and then I'm going to get make you guys privy on exactly what we're doing in the podcast, which is a little, a little bit kind of like something we've done before and but maybe a little bit different today. Okay. I know cut that sounds ba- scary. Cut I know it with that sounds the bathroom scary. humor there, Hannenberg. Privies. Jeez Louise. Oh. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I know that sounds scary. It's yeah. okay. Good. I'll be your guide. You'll be very safe. Good. Okay. So, Niccolo di Bernardello di Machiavelli was born... I nailed every what, single one what, of those. Wait, Don't what? question it. That was great. Was born May 3rd in 1469 in Florence. And he had an influential family in the past, but his dad wasn't particularly wealthy. He ran, if I recall correctly, a law office, and he had been declared pretty much insolvent, like too much debt, and so severely depressed his law practice. Yes. Nobody wants to go into an insolvent lawyer. 
um, and meant that poor Niccolo did not get the education he had that was typical of somebody of his station. But he did study Latin and the classics. But he didn't, you know, he didn't learn a whole bunch of languages like some of the other kids in his station might have. Did he have a chip on his shoulder because of it? Was he like hungry and go getter and? Well, oh, kind of. Yeah, yeah we'll go. get there. Niccolo is actually a pretty smart, smart fella. So in 1494, the Medici family that had been ruling Florence for a long time was driven out of the city and the Republic of Florence was established, influenced by a moralizing monk named Girolamo, who basically preached against tyranny and corruption and all that sort of stuff, and everybody was on board. Um, Four years later, that collapsed. Oh, People got great. sick of that guy pretty quick. Um, <laughs> they got he, sick of the moralizing monk in four yeah, years? Did he, like, take over? Like, did he become the leader? Yeah, he was the leader. And he, Machiavelli, during that time, had been installed as um, head of the chancery. I think it was the second chancery. So not quite as important as the first chancery. Okay. But he was kind of a secretary to the council that governed foreign affairs and defense. And he became, like, the head... Or, sorry, that collapsed... Sorry, when uh, Girolamo collapsed, a new guy named Piero Soderini took over um, four years later. And that was the guy that Machiavelli became counselor to. So yes. he was like, they called him the, the little hand, which was supposed to be kind of diminutive. But he was basically like the second guy in charge. Yeah, that's kind of dope, though. Right? The little uh, hand. <laughs> that no, sounds so scary. I know. Sure. You don't mess with a guy named the little hand. It probably sounds even better in Italian. I'm not going to take. I don't know. I was going to say. Yeah, no, none, none of us. None of it. No, it the only result yes. is sounding. Your racist. your wife knows Italian. This is true. Let me call her up right now. Okay. Does she really? Yes. That's great. I wish I could tell you. Okay, he served for 14 years in these positions. So he he ruled in statecraft for a really long time, or didn't rule, but you know participated in statecraft. His fortunes then changed drastically in 1512 when Spain invaded Italy and dismantled the Florentine Republic. The Medici. Wait, Spain invaded Italy in what year? Uh, it says 1512. Crazy. Yeah, 1512. Invaded Italy and dismantled the Republic. The Medici reclaimed their position oh. and dismissed Machiavelli because mm. he had been part of the Republic that came in after their rule. In early 1513, he was imprisoned and tortured under charges of conspiracy against the Medici. He showed Rough. up in sort of like a conspirator's list. He was innocent. Right. He did not actually commit any of those crimes. At least history records him not having committed them. He maintained his innocence and eventually was pardoned under the condition that he retire to the farm that he inherited from his dad out seven miles outside the city. Um, awesome. And That's he got the, pardoned. Yes. not so bad. Yeah. Right? yeah. I, I know. Worst things could happen, yeah. right? But he was pardoned partially because they, I think they were installing a new pope, one of whom, if I'm remembering correctly, I could be wrong about this bit, but was, was a Medici and he wanted to give a general amnesty. So it was sort of a lump pardon where he just mm. sort of pardoned a whole bunch of people for his election so he went out there and this and sort of out of frustration and also trying to ingratiate himself with the medici he turned himself to writing it was a way to get out his frustrations and he was pretty poor they were trying to subsist on the meager income the, the farm could bring in no longer a wealthy man mm. just, things were not going super well for him and so that is where he wrote the prince as right. well as some other books including the art of war discourses on the first 10 books of titus livy and he also wrote a very popular comedy called the mandrake mandrake root root sorry um he never really got the important position that he had ever again uh he did participate in some intelligentsia conversations like he would go and everybody that that was important in florence would kind of come to these and he Everybody kind of recognized, man, this guy Niccolo really knows what he's talking about. We should maybe listen up to him. And after um, one of the ruling Medici's died, 
the next guy to take power finally agreed to have a meeting with him and gave him sort of a token job, had him write the history of Florence, but he never rose to the same level of power that he had previously had. So he had a position of middling power for like five years and then and then wrote, wrote books that. about how to be like really no, no, for like f- 15 years, oh, okay. for, 14 years oh, okay. he served so in uh, pretty high up in the military. Because okay. to me, military, it was like state. the person who like, Starts a business and it fails, and then he spends the rest of his time like writing how to start a business books. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it, it sounded like this was going to undermine his book, but but fifteen years—that's a pretty—that's a significant chunk of time. Yeah, fourteen years is a long time, yeah, and yeah. he was often as as part of his position as advisor for this guy. He was sent on a lot of foreign diplomacy things, and he was the shrewd one in the room mm-hmm. when when he could tell when somebody was up to something or was double dealing or going behind everybody's back. Because I'm knew. terrible at that. I'd be I'd be bad. Oh, I would be sunk so fast if someone just flash me their pearly whites and was really nice and like gave me soup i'd be like this guy's the best person bit, ever. you want to like the russian guy would be like you want to go for dinner i'll be like yes <laughs> these guys aren't so bad uh, yeah <laughs> terrifying so he yeah he eventually sort of regained the favor of the medici and he was given the task of ris- writing the history of florence which he completed in 1525 in 1527, the Medici were deposed again and the Republic restored. So <laughs> Medici oh. back out, Republic back in. Okay. You think, and he expected, he's like, I'm going to get my spot back. Right. Nope, because he had been so closely tied with the Medici, everyone was suspicious of him. <laughs> so they didn't give him his position Dang. back. Uh, I wrote in my notes, poor old dog can't win. This poor guy. Yeah. And then he died before he could really do anything more. Like... And then his books were sort of, many of them were published posthumously. I think only the only one, again, I could be wrong about this, that was published during his lifetime was The Art of War. Mm. The Prince was never actually published during his lifetime and never really, I think, got into the hands of the two different Medici that he dedicated it to. So it didn't really work how he wanted it to work. But this is his, okay, here is advice for a brand new ruling prince that has come into power. Here is how you should conduct yourself practically as a ruling party so that you don't lose power. Like that's what this is all about. Did it become pretty popular after his death, or did it take a while? Well, popular enough that you guys know what the term Machiavellian <laughs> means. But I'm wondering, was that, you know, in the 1800s, it suddenly got picked back up? Oh, I'm not, oh. I'm not sure. I can't comment on how popular it became. Yeah. I, I, read the, I, read, I read his life, and then I just jumped right into the book. Cool. So you can, I'll have to look up reception before the next, nope. next episode. Nope. Okay, so what we are going to do is Machiavelli here gives a lot of principles for how to rule as a prince in his book, right? And presents a lot of situations. He's like, okay, in this situation, this is what you do. In this situation, this is what you do. And here's the wise thing. And here's the unwise thing. And so what I'm going to do is we are going to play quiz show. Oh my God. Yeah. And, <laughs> I, and I'm going to keep score. Oh, okay. oh yeah, I'm keeping score. It's a very official game Okay. What prize do we get for winning? I was hoping you wouldn't ask. No prize. Right. Wait, hold on. Wait. Can I get a fancy fountain pen if I win? Sure. Okay, Absolutely. I appreciate that. Thanks. And Graham, I got you yours a little while ago. You're welcome, buddy. <laughs> you don't have to give it back if you... What fountain pen did you give me? The Twisby Eco. I thought you bought your own. I thought Graham bought his own. Oh, hush. Yeah, he did. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm pretty sure I bought that. I was going to take credit for it. Oh. Maybe hope you remember. Okay. So he he starts off the book and he basically says, look, we're not talking about republics like that's a totally different ruling thing i'm writing this to dudes who are going to run their own little country so republics are out especially because i've talked about them in other books we are going to talk about principalities okay run by princes okay so question Mm -hmm. is it which is easier to hold and maintain a new principality 
that has just been established or a hereditary one? New. New one. Easier to easier to hold? Yep. Um, nope. Wrong. <laughs> We're both wrong. This no points. Great. No points for either. Huh. Uh, hereditary. You have less reason to harm your subjects, right? If you if you have what? sort of gotten the power from your dad, mm-hmm. right? That's easier to hold because all you have to do is continue to do nothing wrong. Oh, interesting. Right? If I have taken a new principality, but in establishing that new principality, uh-huh. I must have taken it power somehow. Uh-huh. And that involves harming the people who live there because I've had to take it by military force. No, no, but if I have a new one, they can be like, you know what? We're going to give them a shot. We're going to give Donaldson, Prince Donaldson a try. Ah, Prince like, Donaldson. it's time for things to settle down. Let's let us let them do a thing. If it's a new one? Yeah. yeah. I was gonna say, no, you, those, you have just fought those people on the field of battle and probably killed a lot of their brothers and dads and, and folks around them and maybe even burned down a few buildings in the process. They're probably not very happy with you. Maybe that's and not what I was thinking for new. They're really testing you. Well, yeah. a new principality isn't just like, you and a bunch of buddies yeah. get together. Oh, and why not? That's what I was saying. I thought it was like the beginning of civilization, like right. the game where like, it's you and a settler and you click you're about, the button and you have a civilization. city. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But even then you have competition for who's going to be the dude in charge. And there's going to be little barbarians running. back dealing and it's like people got axes with yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. rocks. Okay, fine. So a new principality has to be one that you've sort of just established via military might, which means you've hurt the yeah, people who live that's there, which makes it hard to hold. Okay. All right. All right. right? Now I'm on the, I get it now. All right. Let's Okay. Yo, I'm in. So you, you agree with, I'm locked in. Good old Maki. I'm locked in. Uh, Maybe. I don't know. Still reluctant. I, I want to win. I will right. convince you. Okay. Right. Okay, good. Uh, when you take a new principality, what do you do with the family of the people who used to rule there? Give them a place at your table. Okay. I feel like I shouldn't say the same thing. He, uh, kill them all. I don't know. Like, uh, vengeance against all of them. Point Thomas. <laughs> the easiest way to hold any... a new principality yeah. is to prevent them from retaking power. Yeah. The people that live there will be used to the old rulers yeah. and used to their customs. And they don't know you and they don't, you're untested. They'll be much more comfortable serving somebody they've been living under for a long time, especially if it's been a long hereditary holding. So the easiest thing you, you got to do is you just got to kill them all. You just got to kill every single one of those people. And then by wiping out that line, the the people aren't going to be longing for their previous princes <laughs> because they're all dead. Because they're dead, yeah. I'm, I've, I'm suddenly realizing that winning this game will make me the most Machiavellian of the three of us. I don't, I, I think I want to lose this game now. This is my new strategy. You're going to try to lose? No, I'm going to try and answer it correctly. I'm just going to be sad at the outcome. I knew I could count on you. Great. Okay, so got to kill off all the old ru- rulers. Okay, once having taken a new principality, what do you do with the with the laws? Do you make any changes? And if you do, what changes do you make to laws, custom, or taxes? Lower taxes, make laws more friendly, change, don't change customs. I don't know if you're looking for a, new, a, new, a nuanced answer like that, but you want to do good things for people so they like you. Okay, so try to do new things. So like lower taxes, make laws easier, new new fun customs and festivals and new stuff. New customs. Okay. Love love the love Prince Donaldson Day or something like that. <laughs> uh, like a day off work, and we all have just a great time. So um, I can agree with the lower taxes thing. And then laws, keep keep the laws. Laws are the same. Keep the laws we the don't want people, We don't want to keep okay, these, Okay, so let's, let's make this a three-pointer. How okay. wrong are both What do us? you do with laws? Keep them. Keep them? Change, Change them to make them laxer. Point Graham. Yeah. Uh, Keep the laws standard. They're used to them. You don't want to be shaking things up in your first few years ruling a new country. Okay. Especially if it's customs you're unfamiliar with or laws Look. you're unfamiliar with. Second, customs. Adding, change. Keep the same. Adding new ones. Yeah. Change them. Let's get some parties in there. Love the Donaldson Day. You know, that kind of stuff. Keep the same. Keep the same. Point Thomas. Oh, Got to keep those the same. 
Uh, again, they're used to a certain way of life. If you come in and you start shaking everything up, it makes everybody really uncomfortable. This is true. Right? They don't like that. They don't Naturally. like a whole lot of change. You got to come in and slide in there as easy as possible. And they'll be like, oh, this new ruler's not so bad. My life is just as good as it was. <laughs> All right, but they don't get Love the Donaldson Day. And that was going to be fun. <laughs> you can, like, I think that might later. come later when yeah. you have to demonstrate yourself being generous, yeah. which is its own little trick in Machiavelli's oh, we'd Machiavelli have system. Pancakes with maple syrup. We pancake day. I love pancake day. It's a great. But what idea. happens when you can't sustain that? Mm. What happens when you have to take away pancake day? Mm. People will riot. Yes. I would riot if I lost riot pancake in the street. day. Yeah. That's true. Okay. Although pancakes, I always regret pancakes. Why? Well, if you ever go to a restaurant and you order pancakes, you're like, oh man, you know, pancakes, that's what I want. And like three bites into it, you're like, ugh, I might as well just be eating a bag of flour. What's wrong with that? That sounds, wait. sounds crazy. Yeah, no, it's yeah. just like it sits in your stomach like a like a brick. Well, that's why the, the crepe <laughs> is the new tech. It's all uh, the platform of the pancake with none of the regret. <laughs> platform, thank yeah, you. Yeah, because you just, you just fill it with like peanut butter and sugar that's and all the true. stuff you want in the first place. Yeah, yeah. It's just that no self-respecting person can just eat peanut butter covered in sugar. Uh, it's true. Oh, okay. Okay. I mean, I do. I, <laughs> you just can't order it and feel like a. Yeah, it's you just not can't a do it. Functioning member of society. <laughs> Keep that at home. Okay. Yeah. And point number three: taxes, raise or lower? Lower. Mm, I need cash. <laughs> raise. Both wrong. Keep them the same. Oh, <laughs> that's funny. Again, you just try to try to change as little as you can moving in. Okay. Especially because it's a new place. It's unfamiliar. You've just taken over. They're really uncomfortable with you. You just killed a lot of them. If you raise taxes, they'll freak out. If you lower taxes, well, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage, right? Mm. Those taxes are probably balanced so that the people can maintain them. And if you've just killed half of them, they're not going to be, you, you know, you got to have some income coming in. So Think of all the cool stuff we could build if I had more money. <laughs> oh, would yeah. be very cool. Like Pan- statues and stuff. New pancake house. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. I think we're tied right now, Graham. Uh, you are not. Thomas what? is ahead by one. Ooh, even better. Okay. H- how, what is the best way to hold a new principality if it does not speak your language? If it's in another country, say it's, 50 miles away, 100 miles away, it's a ways away, you had to travel there to take it. What is the easiest way to hold it? And I'll give you some options. Mm-hmm. Puppet King. Do you King. live there? Okay, so Puppet King maybe. Do you live there personally? Do you send infantry there? Or do you send colonies there? Ooh, yeah, let's colonize that. Those are your three Manifest options. Manifest destiny, live baby. Live there personally, <laughs> send infantry, or colonize. I don't know, no, not infantry. Oh, maybe I should live there personally. But that you put yourself at risk by living there personally, mm-hmm. but you can learn the language. And I think it would mean more to have the leader learn the language. So since I like being wrong, let's go with move there personally. Colonize. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> we'll give two points, Graham, one point, Thomas. Yeah. Colonize is the best option. Uh-huh. It's cheap. Yep. And when you go there, you're going to have to take kick some people out of their houses but they can't really do anything to you <laughs> because they don't have houses anymore. Oh, true. Oh my so gosh. they'll be, <laughs> they're deprived of their goods and nobody else will want to rise against you for fear of losing their own houses. I can't see their language. I don't know if they're upset. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just get, just get out of here, man. Uh-huh. Yeah. We're going to take this house. And so you install your people. And then if they decide to rise up against you, well, they're also rising up against their neighbors, people they might be interacting with and maybe their new butcher or baker or like it kind of integrates that life and makes them far less likely to rebel. And cool, the cool. people you've deprived of their goods don't really have enough power to do anything. And again, those people that didn't lose are afraid of losing. Living there yourself is the next best option. That's why Thomas gets a point. So now we're tied. You are tied three to three. So yeah, 
it's the next best Infantry, option. Infantry, not a good, not a good option. It's the worst option because it costs so much mm-hmm. money to maintain, no, right? You're, true. you're almost seen as an occupier rather like it's, it's sort of a, I don't know. It's a bad reminder. I don't want to pull up anything that Machiavelli didn't say, but sure. it's really expensive Gotcha. and you have to sort of maintain it. Their troops probably don't want to be there. It's just not as good an option as kicking people out of their houses and then <laughs> installing a bunch of new, new people. I gained to understand where the term Machiavellian came from. Oh, but, but he's you doing see the, nice things, right? Like, I, my stereotype of Machiavelli would be send in the infantry, remind them how powerful you are, then they'll do whatever you want mm. to. I don't, I'm sure we'll get at some point to the fear versus love thing. Well, that's that'll be next thing. Is okay. it better to be feared or loved as a as a leader? Again, yeah. we'll get to the the sort of qualities that a leader needs needs to have. Like, These are like practical military stuff. Yep. Like, how like, do you best hold it? Well, co- colonies yeah. is the best option. I can see how if I was a leader. This would be highly useful to me, right? Mm-hmm. I'd be, I would, my first instinct if I conquered a new place is like, man, I got to send all my armies there and keep them under my thumb. Whereas colonies, way cheaper. Mm-hmm. It frees up my armies to do other stuff. I'm not wasting my taxes. Like that's, that's a lot better options. It also frees me to run my own country and to maybe make new conquests. Like right. there's a lot of benefits to it. Fear will keep them in line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. But, but we're not using fear. Oh, we're not using fear. Yeah. Okay. When you enter a new place, how should you treat the less powerful who come over to your aid? Um, They will be embittered against the powerful who rule their country. So it's like when you come up, you're going to get some of the people from that populace that don't really like the current ruler. How do you treat them? And And they've betrayed their ruler to come over to your side? Yes, ostensibly. Contempt. Okay, contempt. Because they're betraying their lord. Okay. Uh, like graciously, like they were rejected by the rich of their previous, uh, whoever ran the city previously and now, um, are like in support. Uh, they're if switching they, their allegiance, right? But if they betrayed their lore, they're going to betray you in 15 years. That's not true. Not if you win them over. And that's what I'm trying to do. I want everyone to like me, which I don't think Machiavelli will appreciate. Okay. So I, I feel Once like I cheater, always cheater. <laughs> I feel like I have to give you both a point yeah. because you are supposed to accept them. I mean, sure. <laughs> why why, why look a gift horse in the mouth? Exactly. Right? They're going to yeah, come over point. to your side and kind of sell out their city. Nice. Sure. Bring them over to your side. But I'm not going to like make them my right hand, my little hand. Exactly. You need to keep them. You need to make sure that they do not gain too much power. You cannot raise them above their station because then all you have to, to make that new city yours is just take out the powerful. Right? right. So like the non-powerful people have come over to my side. Now, if I just kick out the powerful, the whole place is mine, and I haven't made any new dangerous enemies in the process. So keep everybody kind of low. Don't elevate the people who've flip-flopped. Right. But kind of engraft them to you as friends. But I think you're right, Graham. Keep them too long, and they'll probably sell you out too. Like, that's that's a dangerous kind of person. Right. right? They've established kind of a, I don't know, I'd be suspicious. Sure. Okay. If I can't take a new place myself, should I ever enlist somebody else Another power, say, so if I'm Spain, do I enlist France to help me take a new country that I cannot take myself? No. Dep- Why would depends on the terms of the deal, I guess. Okay, so what would be a good terms of deal? Um well, why are they helping me? Exactly. I'm, am I paying them? <laughs> ah, that is the that's the question. <laughs> that's a great question. Yeah. So I don't think no, I think if I can't do it on my own steam, then like I'm just opening up a can of a world of hurt if I bring in the French. Okay, so you're just, you're just asking for trouble? Yeah. Is that the same answer? Yeah, so you're not the one who actually takes the 
city, the principality, the whatever. So you're not the strong one and you're not the one in charge. You just happen to have money. So why would no one would respect you? And then you still have the problem of how to maintain your control. Yeah, it means you sort of weaken yourself by bringing in somebody new. You have helped a new foreign power by either industriousness, by working hard, or by your use of force. Both of, both of which are really suspect to somebody else who's become powerful. So if you both sort of take a new area, they're not probably not going to be your friend for very long. Right. right. You are really dangerous as the other half of their force. And now that they've got now that you both have taken this new place. Well, the e- easy thing, especially because you couldn't take it yourself. You've already demonstrated that you can't take it yourself. Right. Is to just boot you out. Right. Right. So that's a bad idea. Is, yeah. Okay. So no points or we both get a point. Oh. <laughs> You're really Let's see if everybody's game. Great. I mean, you guys are still tied. I'm so sorry, Graham. Both, both. Okay, you know what? We can give you each your own country, and that way, at the end, we'll know which which person's country has prospered. I'll be crushed into the dirt. This will go poorly. All right. What well, What are your countries called? Uh, um, that'd be like Maglandia, right? Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Um, Maglandia. Maglandia. Donstalvania. <laughs> <laughs> are you vampires? Are you all a bunch of vampires? What are you talking about? Trans- Trans- you say Transylvania? We are not the vampires. <laughs> what do you talk about? Yeah, this is good. I like this. Don't we like Sylv- to party at night. Donstalvania and... Maglandia. Maglandia. Was it Donstalvania? Donstalvania. It's perfect. Okay. Donstalvania, Maglandia. Don't bring perfect. your stereotypes against Donstalvania so just sorry. because we're so from sorry. further east. Oh, wow. Okay. In the two following the states... Balkans. One which there's a strong central leader that holds all the power, or one with a bunch of feudal lords who all hold a little power, sub- subjecting to a king. Which one is easier to take, and which one is easier to hold? Oh, crap. Can you give me the options again? So, I'm still on vaccine brain here. <laughs> okay, that's okay. I still feel like I'm like three weeks out and still have it. But awesome. I feel great. Good. No, sorry. Um, so, two, two different countries. Mm-hmm. One is held by a central power. Think like a czar okay. who rules with an iron fist. Mm-hmm. They're in charge. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no like old families. Gotcha. He's in charge. He rules through subsidiaries mm-hmm. or intermediaries. And then, and then one where there is a king, but a lot of sort of dukes and earls and Ugh. people that ha- sort of have their own ancestral lands gotcha. that are allegiant to the king, yep. but still subservient. Which one is easier to first take one. over? Oh man. First one. First Which one. one is easier to hold? The second one. The second one's easier to hold. First one's easier to take over because all you got to do, single point of failure, right? Yes. Okay, so second Just one is easier to take over? Throwing. No. That's no, yours. first one's easier to take over. Yep. Yes. But the second one, if you can somehow take it over, presumably is easier to, well, I don't know. I mean, it's only easier to hold if you have all those lords on your side. Okay. So first one you said was easier to take over. Yeah, because you're it's one's a single. To hold. First one's easy to take over because it's a single point of failure. All you gotta do is knock the dude off the top, and yeah. install yourself on the top. The second one has other people bought into the king being the king, right? Again, it's this is what Graham is saying, assuming they like the king. But if they're all support, they support the king because they get to keep their land because the current king is the king. Mm-hmm. So more people bought in will help you. Um, but yeah, I agree. The first one would be easier to take because you just have to take out the one leader. Just give him some old cheese or something. I'm wondering um, if... Oh, we're both wrong. Double wrong oh, on wow. both counts. Dang. So the the first one is harder to take. What? You can't divide it, right? There's nobody that you can sort of enlist to your side or, or you can't encourage infighting, right? It is a central united front that you mm. have to defeat, hmm. right? 
You can't divide it. You can't get allies from inside. There's one guy that's running everything, and if it's coordinated, he's going to do a good job defending himself. Whereas in the second one... Yeah, like, but it's like a lot Saddam of Hussein, right? All you got to do is just roll in there, and the whole thing crumbles. Which is probably easier now, oh, okay. that we can right. do it from miles and miles away or do poison or something. But even then... I mean, yeah, yeah. Cut off the head of the snake, the snake gotcha. goes dead. But that's why it's easier to hold. Once the head is gone... Mm. The people have no allegiance to any sort of feudal lords or old families. There's nobody really angling for power. There's one big void and you can fill it. In the second one, the one with all the feudal lords, it's really easy to find a malcontent. That's true. That will sort of open the gates of the city to you. Or you can encourage infighting or you can sort of whisper that somebody else would look really good as king and sort of let themselves destroy each other from the inside. Mm -hmm. But once you're in, you've got the same problem to deal with. An old family who seems to think they're just about on par with you and might at any moment become king. And you've got to deal with all those ancestries, all those feudal lands, all those dukes, all like there's a whole lot of extra trouble. Whereas if you roll into some place and become the czar, you're the czar. Like you're in charge. This is why we're like happy <laughs> pastoral high school teachers and not like <laughs> lords of finance, like tearing down corporate uh I, I could have helped but think the same thing. This whole time I've been reading this, I'm like, oh boy, I'm glad I'm not one of these guys. <laughs> like, sounds like such a hassle. There's so much thinking you have to do and wake up every morning wondering who's behind That's right. the curtains. And man, I it's want the sword none of, of this job. Yeah, yeah, the sword of Damocles all the way. Like the only sword of Damocles I have is like, paper, like essays to grade. <laughs> yeah. I do. I wonder if you agree with, again, he's based, he's based this on his 14 years in a role that does these things. I don't know. Do you think he's right in the things that he's arguing for? I mean, it seems pretty sensible okay. to me. Everything I read, I was like, yes, this seems very straightforward once you point out the advantages and disadvantages. But it often, yeah, it's exactly contrary to what I originally thought. That, right. That I was, I was going to do the wrong thing, right? Occupy with an army when the best thing is to just colonize. Right. Um, Right. Make a whole bunch of changes trying to make my populace think that I'm really cool when the best thing is just sort of roll in and not change anything. Right. Make them feel like life hasn't changed much. And hey, this might not be so bad after all. Graham, AJ, before we go any further, I want to thank our Patreon sponsors for making this episode possible. Uh, our Patreon sponsors support us at one of four levels. I'm going to go through them right now because I think many people listening they want to be a part of this as well. They want to become patrons as well. Uh, we have a $2 a month tier. Those are Ghibellines at $2 a month. You get access to all of our episodes ad-free. You also get access to previous uh, uh, content that we've done, mostly at uh, conferences. Um, so you get ap- uh, access to many other uh, bonus episodes as well. At $10 a month, you get access to our our uh, in-between episodes, which we record after every single episode that we record. You also get access to our monthly AMAs, which I think are really funny, and some of our best content. In addition to all the same benefits at the $2 a month tier, you get access to ad-free episodes. Above that, at the $20 a month tier, you uh, at that point are giving input into the podcast. You are helping us come up with future topics to come up with future merchandise in addition to all benefits from the tiers below that. And finally, and you heard about this uh, in recent episodes, we have added a Helios' Acolytes of Love tier at $100 a month. At this level, you are a true believer and you are the most faithful of our listeners. At this tier, you get all the benefits from lower tiers. You also get, I can't believe I'm saying these words, that you get a Helios' Acolytes of Love crew neck sweatshirt. You get Helios' Acolytes of Love Crocs and you get uh, 
uh, a free uh, copy of all future merchandise as we create it. So incredible, incredible benefits at this, at this level that is only for $100 a month. You can find all of this at patreoncom slash classical stuff. Thanks again to our patrons and um, thank you all for listening. I just keep wondering, cause like, you know, I don't, I don't, I know Graham uses Twitter and AJ, you probably don't, but like, you know, there are all these little Twitter bots that are like Machiavelli quotes and they just like, I don't know to what degree they're still like applicable today. Most people are looking at, it's not like there are lots of princes on Twitter who are getting their um, army advice from there, but usually people are trying to get like a, some kind of uh, concept out of specific things that he's teaching. Does that make sense? That's where I'm like, I don't know if that jump makes sense or works, but I guess we're not really, what do you mean? So like, so the principle behind say the one about colonizing versus putting your infantry somewhere is that you want to build mutually beneficial relationships as opposed to conquest. Right. So I, again, I don't know if you have thoughts on that and maybe we're not far enough in the episode to talk about that, but is there something more applicable to this book than just here's how a prince should enter power? Is that, I think we're going to get to it later. Okay. Like there's, there's a whole chapter about when you're a ruler, is it better to, better to be loved or feared? Yes. Right. Or how do you appear loved. like which as a, as a leader, What's better, being miserly or giving? Get giving. He encourages miserliness. See, this is why. Because you, there's no way to do true charity mm. while not totally impoverishing yourself. Because true charity requires that you do it in secret, mm. right? That's if you're going to do any sort of charity, it has to be way out in the open, and you can't maintain that for very long without totally running yourself into ruin. But if you're miserly, what ends up happening is that you protect your people, that you don't overtax them, you don't abuse them. And then in the end, you will come off looking generous because you're not doing too much to your people and they live in prosperity, right? So again, often it's the exact opposite of what I would have expected, but it's all very practical. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much of it is practical for today. Mm -hmm. Like, is it easier to take out a dictator? I think now, yes. If there's one central head of power, a smart bomb does the job real quick, Mm -hmm. right? I think it was probably tougher back then in the time of Florence. Sure. Okay, you guys ready to keep going? Yep. yep. All right, if you conquer a place that used to be a free republic, so its own laws, its own governance, no central power, it's, it's a republic, what is the easiest way to hold it? You have three options. Number one, destroy it. <laughs> just, just raise the thing to the ground and start fresh. Two, live there yourself. Or three, let them live under their old laws, but with sort of a puppet government that exacts tribute to you. Yeah, yeah. Those are your three options. Yeah, you puppet government it up. Burn it to the ground. There's no way to effectively rule this free land, and to attempt it is foolhardy. Yes, once the virus of freedom has infected the human heart. There's no coming back from that. So you guys say destroy it? No, I said that. He said destroy it. I said uh, uh, puppet king. Have you, how how recently have you read this book, Thomas? Years ago. Does uh, he actually say that? Pretty much. Hey, let's you, go. You cannot erase the memory <sighs> Is that of true? freedom. Yeah, I'm, I'm I just read it. I, it's actually one of the can quotes. I, can I, I be honest? I was read. I thought I was giving like the obviously wrong answer and that just like making. <laughs> Is that actually? I'm so happy <laughs> right now. That's the exact answer. Okay, good. you guys ready for this? Yeah. For in truth, there is no sure method of holding them except by destroying them. And whoever becomes the master of a city accustomed to living in freedom and does not destroy it may expect to be destroyed (laughs) by it. For during a rebellion, it always takes refuge in the name of liberty and its ancient institutions, which are not forgotten either with the passage or time or because of benefits received. And no matter what one does or foresees, if the inhabitants are not separated or scattered, they will not forget that name and those institutions, and they will have recourse to them instantly at every opportunity. As Pisa did, 
after 100 years of mm. being held in servitude by the Florentines. But when cities or countries are used to living under a prince and his family is extinguished, they, being on the one hand used to obeying and, on the other, not having their old prince, cannot unite to choose a prince from among themselves, nor do they know how to live as free men. Thus, they are slower to take up arms, and a prince can win them over and assure himself of them with greater ease. But in republics, there is greater life, greater hatred, and more desire for vengeance. The memory of their ancient liberty does not and cannot allow them to rest, so that the most secure way is either to destroy them or to go there to live. So you can go and live there yourself, but the very best way is just... You just got to kill them all. So they're, they're like... They've tasted freedom. <laughs> they're they're like New Hampshire, back. right? Like live free or die. Uh, yes. Yes, exactly. Okay. That's it. All right. So who, who said that one, Thomas? You get a point? <sighs> Man. Right. Right now. He's American though. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. It's just like that freedom loving... Then why are we I, I'm right now? I'm under a prince or <laughs> a queen. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so you won't be uh, massacred by the new prince? Is that... Exactly. Is that? Good. Yeah, the Magbalians are winning. Yeah, thank you. What's your... Mag- Magbelia? Mag... Maglandia. Maglandia. Maglandians. Well, the Maglandians uh-huh. are winning. Okay. The Johnsylvanians, you know, we're, we're coming. <laughs> they kind of lurk in the shadows. They, uh, they'll come <laughs> we're out We're not later. vampires. Wait, what? I didn't say you were. So there's Transylvania, but uh-huh. surely there's like some other vanias that aren't, aren't vamp- vampiric. Okay. You guys still tracking along with quiz game here? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So there are four different ways to become prince. Right? So four? There's, there's four. Okay. One is through your own virtue, right? You're just a great leader and you bootstrap your way all the way to princedom, right? You gather an army behind you, you invent a new order, you convince men that this order is good and you just work your way all the way there. Okay. Number two, through fortune. You lucked into it. Like you got born into it or you got rich? You either. You got like a rich dad or maybe some other ruler is like, hey, Graham, remember we used to be like childhood buddies? Well, I got this country to run. Here's a whole principality. Awesome. Right? There's fortune. There is, um, like, nefarious means. You can call together a meeting of all the heads of a state and just murder them all, which I wouldn't call by means of virtue. It's more like by means of thievery. Okay. Right? And the last is you are press-ganged by the people into ruling. Oh, man. Like, they uh, say, you got to rule. Like Solon the Athenian, right? Mm-hmm. They said, you got to rule. And he's like, like, I don't want to do that. And they said, we will murder you if you don't become king. And he was like, sold. <laughs> I'll be king. Turned out he was really good at it. Okay. So of the first two options, those who rise by virtue and those who rise through fortune, which has an easier time ruling once everything is established? Fortune. You got money. Like, I I can only choose between the first two, correct? Yeah, I mean, like, that's that's what the chapter was about, is which of these guys has an easier time holding on to things. Probably the one that was like, please, please rule us. No, that's the fourth one. Oh. Oh, I can only choose between the first two? Uh, yes, I believe that's correct. Can you confirm mm. that again, AJ? Uh, wait, what, say it again? We're only picking between the first two? Yes. So no, either. probably if you're just like super virtuous and you just like make your, you know, you, you just made it because you're so good. <laughs> you don't think that. You don't think that's the answer. It's got to be money. This is Machiavelli, right? Come on. Um, it is actually easier if you were virtuous. What? I'm shocked. So, t- that's a that's a Graham point. Yep. Yes. Ooh, sorry, I accidentally gave Graham the last point. How dare you? If you're virtuous, money will find you. I don't know about that. That's like proverbs. <laughs> Is that what it? <laughs> I don't think. 
Have you gone to those churches where, like, if you're just you, you love have, God, you'll give you money? I've been to one of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I may have just totally messed up the points. Oh. <laughs> uh, it looks like it's what three seven to seven. Does that sound right? Sure. Sure. All right, it's even. Hey, <laughs> even Stevens, perfect. Uh-huh. That'll stop the count. Some, get some uh, <laughs> audience know. buy-in for <laughs> that's suspense. I think. I don't like that. Stop the count. <laughs> no, I don't like that. Stop. No. Uh, okay, so if you if you worked your way to get there, yes. you've got it's it's hard to get there because men won't believe in your new order so much as the people who are already powerful will want to resist it, right? So it's a long road if you're virtuous to get there, but once. You get there, it's pretty easy going, hmm. right? You've sort of established yourself. You've got a lot of people who really believe in you, who believe in this world order. They see your virtues, right? You've sort of become a man of renown rather than hmm. sort of lucking into it. Start from the bottom. Yeah. And like you can bribe somebody or have a rich dad and then you sort of just get dropped into it. And you're going to have a lot of work to do to bring people to your side, to establish good relationships, to sort of shore up your defenses, right? If you've already had an army and had to establish your country by means of your own virtue, well, you've already kind of got a standing army. You've got all that stuff already going. Like, the road is hard, but once you got there, it's good. Hmm. The other one is, man, you just sort of plunk out of the sky and luck into a country. Well, keeping it is incredibly diff- difficult. It usually does not go very well. And in fact, we see this sort of cycle. This is my own comment here with the king and child of king, right? Like Gilgamesh and his kid. They, the king is always really strong and conquers a whole bunch of new land and is a go-getter and he establishes his country. And then his son, because he grows, grows into a position that he didn't earn and he grows in relative opulence, is usually pretty worthless. Mm-hmm. He's a worthless sack of wheat and doesn't really do anything and then loses the country. Think John Lackland. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. He kept on losing the land that all of his ancestors gained because he just didn't know what he was doing. True. But there's... And there's that famous cycle when it comes to like really wealthy families. The grandpa, the grandpa started a business. The dad kind of like grew it into a global empire, and then the kid squanders it. Exactly. There's a whole. There's actually an interesting podcast. Did you tell me about it? Maybe, or did I tell you about it? Or you? Uh, maybe I think we had heard I, about it independently. I've I've referenced to you that most family wealth is lost by the third generation. But there's a really interesting podcast by this guy. He's Australian. You recommended it, and he made a bunch of money. Like made like generational wealth mm-hmm. in his life. And then realized, like, whoa, this is really going to affect my kids. Like, he grew up in a middle-class house, and he made a bunch of money in tech. And, like, hundreds of millions, I think. Um, He just references it as life-changing generational wealth. Mm -hmm. And so he realizes, like, you actually have to have some kind of plan for your family, your extended family, and also a plan for your kids. You almost need to have, like, a charter of your family if you really want this thing to like last into the future. Anyway, he started a consultation business, but he himself just does a lot of research into how do families like sustain themselves over many generations to like keep everything that they have and not just fall to that problem where where the son um, squanders everything or the grandson squanders everything. It's called The Business of Family, uh, Mike Boyd. Is the is the podcaster? They're super interesting, um, and it's just like a window into like you know, completely different worlds with these these. But it's uh, it's that same kind of uh, sort of similar kind of concepts of like yeah, it's cool. Yeah, cool. But same principle. Yes. Yes, that virtue is needed, or at least a plan is needed. You can't just like wing it. 
Yep. Yeah, it kind of makes sense to me that the the wealth is lost by the third generation because mm-hmm. the first generation is a father and he's he's got to sort of pull himself up from nothing and his son will watch that watch happen. that happen. So he knows what it's like to be in poverty because he started there and at least maybe has some sort of sense of not wanting to wreck what his father made. But the grandkid is like grown up in luxury, right? Yes, and, and he doesn't, doesn't know any know, better. Yeah, he doesn't know any better. Yeah. He hasn't seen what yeah. living on the other side is like. Yes. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Cool. Psychology is cool. All right. So for those who rise through nefarious means, mm-hmm. say you, there, he has one story in here about a guy who gathered together all the people of his town after sort of distinguishing himself in the army and along with his father. And he's like, hey, I want to have sort of this triumphal entry. Can we organize it? Can we get all the heads of state together to figure out how I can do this thing? They all get into his room. And then he has them all murdered by his men, including his father. Oh, rough. So he rose through what I would call nefarious means, right? It wasn't out in the open. He didn't defeat a country in normal means. He sort of just cheated his way there. Well, you've still got to hold your country. So if that's how you got there, you got there through cruelty. And if you have to be cruel, is it better to do it little by little or all at once? All at once. All at once. Just get over with. Rip that bandit off. Murder Murder everybody. Yeah, yeah, point point for both. Oh, cool. Great. Like, if you got to be cruel, you be cruel all at once, or you're just going to tarnish your reputation. Like, if you're consistently cruel, everyone will hate you. Yeah. So it's better to just do it really fast, and then and then try to meet out generosity a little bit, right? Do your good over time because then people get used to that. But if you're going to be cruel, you got to be cruel quick, or your or your populace can yep. never be at ease with right. you. Just They'll one bad always day. be uncomfortable. One bad day. One bad day. One really rough day that they can all refer to as, you know, like the Red Death or whatever it is. And then it's fine. And then you're okay. And hey, turns out you're not so bad. Yeah. Right. Does he he say whether that is a good way to get into power? I I mean, he does kind of comment on how that's it's terrible. You shouldn't do that. It's not a good way to distinguish yourself. Okay. Right. People sort of recognize that you don't have any virtue and they'll remember that. But if you have to come to it that way, here's here's how you can keep it. Okay. All right, so for those who are elected by the people, there are always two different warring factions in any group. There's the wealthy, and then there's the people, right? So there's like the people underneath, and then there's the wealthy. The wealthy always want to subjugate the people for their own luxury, and the people always don't want to be subjugated by the wealthy. And so those are the two ruling classes. So when you, you might be elected by either group. Either the nobility want you as sort of like, the people are like, hey, we want someone to rule over you guys. We're tired of being ruled by the oligarchy or whatever it is you need to have a ruler well they want you to sort of establish an umbrella under which they can sort of chase their own pleasure right the coastal elites yeah exactly <laughs> whereas the people okay. they, they just really don't want to be oppressed and True. so they might elect you to protect them right um so which has an easier go him elected by the nobility or him elected by the people which has an easier time maintaining his rule hmm the people so the people can like revolt and that's the fear of the elite, right? That the whole system goes away. So you'd rather have like mass support than, yeah, you'd rather have mass support. Yeah, but Occupy Wall Street didn't work. Sure it did. No, it did. Wait, what are you talking about? Uh, I'm going to go just for the sake of trying to create a gap in the old score. I'm going to go with the side with the elites. They're elite. <laughs> Uh, point Thomas. Ah, oh, crap. Uh, <laughs> awesome. If you if you side with the elites, you're always going to have people that think themselves just as good as you. They're going to be honoring. They're going to want stuff from you. They want to be able to oppress, and they'll be hard to rein back. Whereas the people are really easy to pre- please. You just have to not oppress them. Keep them from being oppressed, and they'll love you. 
you can, and, and if a noble is sassing you, you can always put down a noble and raise a new one, right? That's fine. It is hard to put down a people and raise a new people. Right, so it's a lot easier if you have the favor of the people than if you have the favor of the nobility. But the elites run all the newspapers. They're going to write bad things about mean things about me. And that's the thing. This one actually seems kind of naive to me. If you don't have the support of the nobility, it's going to be. I, I guess. I guess I would rather have the support of the people to start with. Okay. If I had to pick a group to start with their support, I would rather have the support of the people than the nobility. Right, because I can all. I I really can. You can seize the think the French Revolution. Right, you can seize the wealth of the nobles. It's, it's a lot harder to work with the nobles themselves against all the people if they hate you. I would rather have the people love me than the nobles love me if I had to pick and choose. Yeah. Even still today, you're saying, so you still agree with it? Oh, man, I was thinking way back in the day when, you know, you had to kill people with arms. These days, a great populace can be kept in check by some really nice tech. So... I, like I drones like, and those like creepy dogs, those like robot dogs. Yeah, I feel. I don't, I don't know. I wonder if the landscape has changed. If here it's better to have the tech elite and a whole bunch of cash than it is to have the, the support of the people. I don't know. So which tech feudal overlord <laughs> <laughs> are you going to be under? Well, t- Tesla, obviously. <laughs> ah, yes. Elon Musk. Oh, yeah, we are in Austin. Our, uh, what's true. he called? The techno king of, of Tesla? Isn't that his new is that title? True? Is that actually his title? Yeah, he changed the title from CEO to techno king. And his king. CFO is master of coin. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Which, you know what? Oh, it's the worst. If you're that rich and it's your company, Go I can't it. fault him. Yeah. Like no, rock and roll. Nothing wrong with that. That's great. That is very funny. Okay. Let's see. All right. We're getting, we're getting close to the end here, which is great. I timed this perfect. Okay. All right. Uh, what if you do if you're not powerful? Uh, if you don't have a lot of money, you don't have Just a big army, money. you don't have a lot of cash, what's, and you're, you're running, say, we'll say a small city state. What do you do? How do you sort of secure yourself? Um, you don't have enough money or troops to mount an offensive in the field. Try to get the Olympic Games. Oh, like some kind of cultural. Yeah, yeah. Get all this money coming rolling in. Okay. Actually, no. I think smart. like when you do the Olympics, you bankrupt yourself, and that sucks. Usually, yeah. 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 Never mind. Yeah, Never mind. Well. Let's not do that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Sochi's so hot these days. I guess I don't know. Um, I, hmm. I'm trying to think of something where so like Machiavelli was not rich or powerful on his own, but he allied himself to rich and powerful people. So, but this is specifically for a prince, correct? What was, sorry, what was the question? I was covering my next question. It's fine. Is this for a, someone who's ruling a principality that is asking them what they should do to increase their power? Yeah. If you don't, if you're not like, you're not a big player on the stage, you Mm -hmm. don't have a really big army. You don't have a lot of money. How can you maintain rule in the face of, possible defeat right you you cannot mount a field offensive if another country comes against you what should be your next concern next concern i'm I'm trying to think of like it's either allying yourself with someone who is which we've already said is a bad idea that was like a different country i'm thinking like a family member or like if you have i don't again i don't know exactly how this works but who in your family or what distant connection is your the closest person to you who is rich and powerful essentially you're looking for someone else who you could be close to who has like a blood tie to you. This is too specific to be the right answer, but I mean, that makes That's sense. Right. Marry your daughter to someone wealthy. Yes. Yeah. Like but again, is... you're sort of undercutting your own worth there. Yeah, you're not giving yourself point. a chance to grow into a real world power. You're making, basically making him a world power. 
right? Fair. Go on the ramp page and start conquering and get some get some money. But you like you don't have enough troops to do that. So he says that the best thing you could do is conquer down. F- yeah, fortify right? yourself. Mm-hmm. Build up, build your walls high. Gather enough food and enough supply. Not just food. Right. You need the supplies for the trades to continue to run. So you need blacksmithing supplies. Mm. You need wood for woodworking supplies. And doomsday prepper right there. <laughs> exactly. Yep. You doomsday prep. And when the people come at you, they'll they'll see that you're well fortified and they just kind of rather not. And he's like, if you have enough for a year, you're probably fine because most armies and conquerors can't spend a full year sieging you. Sure. Like they just, especially when they got other stuff going on, they can't be spending all that time around you. And especially if you're just fine, you got plenty of food, you like your blacksmiths are blacksmithing, your woodworkers are woodworking. You're fine. Like, that's the best way to go about it. You can survive something long and crazy, and it'll actually be a huge deterrent knowing that you're ready for it. True. Um, I thought that was good advice. And then if you if you need to mount an offensive, there's sort of four different types of armies you can put together. One is mercenary. Oh, so expensive. One is auxiliary, right, which is like hiring an army from the French or having somebody else come in and help you. Okay. Mm. There's a mixed one where it's like your troops and some mercenaries or like your troops and the Swiss, right? If you get the Swiss Mm -hmm. or just your own citizens. What is preferable on the field of battle? Which of the four do you want? I mean, mercenaries are probably really good at it. Sure. That would be the reason. If you have the cash for it. Maybe like your own your own troops and some mercenaries. All right, so mixed with mercenaries. I say mixed with mer- your own dudes and mercenaries. I don't want I don't want auxiliaries. No French. <laughs> okay, no French. We can't get. What about the Swiss? Are they mercenaries? Oh yeah, I guess Swiss mercenaries are yeah. a thing. Okay. Um, you want your citizens because they're bought into the cause and they're not going to turn away and run and they don't cost them as much. Point Thomas. Hey. Oh. Like Captain Blacksmith is kind of like. Like just running into battle with like a t-shirt and a stick. I mean, I want some mercenaries. <laughs> so mercenaries are great, but that the meager salary you you pay them is not enough for them to want to risk their lives. He, then he why are they mercenaries? He cites numerous examples where mercenaries on the field have just like leave. They just like yeah, they just kind of leave. Like they're not going to give up their life for you. They don't yeah. know you that well. They don't care about your country that much, and they're perfectly happy to look really impressive during peacetime. Right. But in wartime, they are useless like they don't do anything here's a quote from these armies come only slow tardy and weak conquests and he cites situations where like because of their craft they sort of establish this i don't know mythology around themselves that involves not having to quarter over winter and only attacking during the daytime and not attacking like a town that's that a union yeah, yeah it's exactly. kind of like a, they're like yeah we're mercenaries but because we know how to do this we don't have to do any of this stupid stuff and so they won't do any of the hard well, things that are actually like, hard. Isn't there like a Yelp review you can read? You know like which ones are going to fight for you? So they come only slow, tardy, and weak conquests, but sudden and miraculous losses. Like uh-huh. they will bail from the field when you really need yeah. them. Yeah. And we already had the problem. We've already talked about the problem that comes when you bring an auxiliary army sure. in. You basically invited another giant army to your shores. That's and true. that is a really bad idea. And then a mixed one, you're basically telling your own people, like, (laughs) you don't have the sauce for it. And they begin to believe it. Like, we can't win without the Swiss, uh, without our mercenaries or whatever it is. And when the mercenaries bail, you're in big trouble. Yeah, I guess so. So the best thing is to just rely on your own citizens. He even cites an example where a guy started with mercenaries and then was like, ah, these guys suck. Then fired them all and got auxiliaries and was like, oh, these guys kind of suck. 
And in, in fact, when he fired the mercenaries, he couldn't really dismiss them because they're dangerous. Right. That's yeah. the other thing that's, is they will they will overstep when they get savage. Right. And because they want to make a name for themselves, they'll do more than they actually should in battle. And they often take will take prisoner other mercenaries without killing them because they're other mercenaries. And they don't care. And so when he let him go, he's like, well, I can't just let you guys go because you want to retaliate against me. And I can't keep you with my armies because you're terrible. So he cut them all into small pieces oh, <laughs> and then hired auxiliaries, then fired all those guys. And was finally like, look, man, turns out the best people are just my own people. Sure. That's the best way to go. Gosh darn it. Tom's going to win. Oh, yeah. He's way ahead. Oh. Am I really? Yeah. Wow. This um, feels great. Okay. So for all the marbles. What? This is it? One Wait, question? This is it. Oh, oh, and the funny thing, he does mention the church. He's like, we're not even going to talk about the church. It's crazy. For some reason, <laughs> they can never lose, and they're amazing. And they, like, we've been talking about how to rule, mm-hmm. assuming that you're not part of the church. Oh. Like, if you're part of the church, you kind of have a trump card. Everybody will follow you because you're the church, and it's God's law, and that's the thing that happens. It's that's the funny. church. And so he sort of those sets yeah. them into a different category yeah. that is the church that has an ease of rule because of religious fervor. Um Okay, we've talked about war. We've mm-hmm. talked about all these things you can do on how to establish it, right? We've got colonizing as the best option. We got, man, you need to go it alone. If you can't go it alone, you hunker down and wait till you can go it alone. Don't change any laws when you come in. If you've got to abuse your people, do it fast. Try to get the, the help of the people rather than the nobility. And if you're aiming to take out another country, aim for the one that has a lot of nobles because you can probably flip a few and then, but you got to kill them all once you get in. You can't leave anybody else to, to mess with your power. But what should be your concern in the time of peace? What do you do if there's no wars to fight? You've established your princedom. Well, how, do you spend, how do you spend your time? <laughs> uh, um, like building stuff and like getting some <laughs> libraries and I don't know, like public works and okay, uh, public parks works. and li- and uh, uh, fountains and, uh, you know. I will give 10 points if one of you can get the activity you should spend most of your like time doing. Like a really right. great... 10 points. Public, I'll win you the game. Like public transportation. Okay. Public transportation bus system. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, pre- preparing the, for the next war. So building up your army, building up your... I don't know. Uh, okay. So one point, Thomas, for that. For that, Your concern should always be warfare. Yeah. Whether or not you are in or out of war. People distinguish themselves by war. And I actually thought about this a little bit. Yeah, you want to take a cab to the airport, AJ? Is that what you want? (laughs) Who are our our most famous presidents? The ones who distinguish themselves via warfare. What are you talking about? Lincoln. Warfare. Yeah. Washington. Warfare. Saying like Eisenhower. Roosevelt. Yeah, Roosevelt. Mm. Uh, Kennedy. Got shot? Uh, That's his famous thing? I guess he had Vietnam. Um, what about uh, Garfield? <laughs> what about him? Loves lasagna. <laughs> okay, so what activity should you do to prepare yourself for warfare? I will give you 10 points, Olympics. either one of you. Uh, physical fitness. Uh, 100 push-ups a day. Come yeah. on, Prince. Um, and hunting. Uh, uh, you should go hunting. Is that what it is? Yeah, kid you not. This no. is what he... I think I never thought about it before, but Public maybe works. this is why <laughs> a lot of the kings have spent their times hunting. Part Partially, oh, it's because... Well, partially it's because what happens is you become really familiar with your own territory. Hmm. You are going to know every nook and cranny, every hiding place, every boulder, everywhere someone can hide, every everything. And not only that, but you are consistently getting your body hardy and prepared for whatever it might come up to if hmm. you actually have to fight a war. You'll know your own country better than whoever comes. And by auxiliary, you'll kind of know other country too. If you know the swamps of your own country, well, swamps in a different country, not that much different, unless you're in Australia where everything wants to kill you. Um, it's true. So... 
so that's what you should do is spend your time hunting. And not only that, but you're practicing with weaponry. Mm. Like this is this is one of the easiest ways a for a prince to do that. And he even gives an example of a guy who with his hunting buddies, they'd be on top of a hill and be like, okay, pause before we chase that deer down. What happens if our army's here and there's an army over there? How do we retreat? Hmm. How do we chase them if they retreat? How do we best attack? And he would sit and sort of talk these things out with his buddies as they were hunting. And that way, when war finally came up, he was ready for absolutely every situation he met. What right? are we doing? We should go Sitting hunt. around, reading books, podcasting. <laughs> I know. We should go hunting. Yeah. We should be hunting. I should be preparing for warfare. <laughs> Who knows what's going down? Yeah. So what shocked me about this book was that it didn't really seem... Like bloodthirsty? Yeah. Right. I mean, I get the whole, you have to kill everybody that has lived in a republic because they've got the taste of freedom. But man, he's not that wrong. Tastes sweet. Like the Athenians would fight to the death for, the, for Athens because right. they believed so heavily in the freedom that they had and they didn't want to give it up. Right? That's not something that goes away in a generation or two. That's not something you can work out of people is their taste for freedom. And that's why he's like, look, you just have to destroy them all or, I mean, go live there maybe, but a puppet government ain't going to do it. Suppression ain't going to do it. Because every time they rebel, it won't be rebelling in the name of, like, Gary. It'll be rebelling in the name of freedom itself. And that's right. really hard to put down. It's like, like uh, William Wallace. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Many of his recommendations seemed so sensible and not necessarily bloodthirsty, just sensible. Right. Right? That it kind of, you know. I think it's going to get weird once we start talking about virtues because that's when he starts talking about, like, look, there are some virtues that you got to have or at least appear to have as a prince and there are some vices that will endanger your whole state. And some of them won't. So, you know, Give you got to have vices, have those ones. Which, again, is a little bit practical. Um, I will read, I think when we come up to our next episode, a chunk of chapter 15, which is starting to talk about the involvement of virtues. And what do you do? Like, how do you live as a prince in a world where everyone is evil? And the possibility of a completely good state just isn't there. Right. He's like, you can imagine a good state. People can write the book Utopia. This, these things can happen. But because you are surrounded by evil men, what are the chances this actually gets to happen? And since it cannot happen, here is how you live in a state where you cannot find perfection. Right. So that's what's coming up. You complain about it on Twitter until. Yes. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> Precisely. So yeah. That, I don't know. It was it was a really interesting read. I recommend it. It's it's the chapters are short. That what I gave you today was only about 50 or 60 pages. It's a hundred and some some page book goes really quick. Is there a ton of commentary in the version you have? Because the, the copy I have is much, much shorter than that one. Well, this one is other writings as well. So oh, after okay. page 111 or so, that's where it stops. Okay, and then right. there's a whole bunch of more Machiavelli stuff. Because yep. he wrote some other things. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It just it doesn't seem so crazy cold and bloodthirsty. And he certainly wasn't spending his time cutting off heads for no reason. I always, it's always been presented when you're doing like the study of history. I don't know, we're almost done out of time here. As like this watershed book wherein you're moving from um, sort of like... Ideal. The epic gallant war stories to real, like, dirt practical nuts and bolts of leadership. And it's kind of the beginning of political science. Do you get that feeling when you're oh, reading it? Absolutely. Yeah. He isn't, I mean, later he's going to talk about the virtues, but it's not like something Cicero would have written, yeah, yeah. which is like, you should always aspire to virtue and thereby everything will sort of work itself out. Mm -hmm. It's like, have virtue if it's practical. If you're going to have vices, because you are, you need to have ones that aren't going to endanger your place. And... Like, is it virtuous to kill out the entire ruling family that was no, just ruling terrible. the place? That's, no, that's probably awful, but it's definitely practical. That's where your problems are going to come from if mm. they're going to come. Okay. 
So right. anyway, there you go. That's that's, that's today. There it is. Part one of The Prince. All right. That's awesome. Thanks, AJ. Uh, you can find us online at classicalstuff.net. You can email us at theguys at classicalstuff.net. You can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash classicalstuff. And what else am I forgetting? Nothing. It was perfect. Wait, who won? Oh, me. Oh, he did. Buy, oh. Buy what, what was the score? Enough. I want to hear this. This will make Let's me. Let's see. Well, assuming that I didn't screw up all the points, I probably actually screwed up. Let's see. Graham had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight points. And Thomas had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven points. Maglandia has Maglandia asserted its dominance. And so, <laughs> yeah, good. It's okay. The the vampires can never have too much of a populace. We're not vampires. <laughs> Donsylvanians are like, we love the sun. <laughs> sure. All right. <laughs> so I read I read a really funny post somewhere, you know, speaking of vampires. Vampires. Where it's like, what if vampires invented the whole garlic thing so their meals would self-spice? Like, vampires love garlic. Oh. They, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with it. They invented the whole rumor so that people would put garlic on before they got bit. They taste a little garlicky. Nom, nom, nom. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And we will see you all next week. Yep, thanks, bye. Bye.